Good morning. Obviously, as you have just heard, our goal today is to continue talking about this idea of turning the world upside down, and the message is focusing on ministering to children as ambassadors for Christ. Now, this is a challenging topic, obviously, but this passage covers way more, I know, than just children. So I'm encouraging you, obviously, that we should be desiring to be ambassadors to the world, but what does that look like with regards to children's ministry? Obviously, being the children's pastor, that's a passion of my heart. I know there's many parents here, but what does it mean for our entire church body? What is our responsibility to be ambassadors for Christ with regards to children? So what does it mean to minister to children as a church in this, what I would consider an upside-down world? The world is not right. The world's struggling. They think they're right. But the hope that we are sharing is actually what I would believe it to be correct. It's from God. What role does every church member play in ministering to children? Is it okay to say they're not mine? Is it okay to say I did my time? And I'm serving somewhere else, so it's not my responsibility. I've heard those things. What about as parents? How do you raise your children differently than the rest of the world? Is it okay to strive for worldly success and sprinkle in the Christian values? But also, is it okay to assume we know best and we should attempt to isolate our children from all other influence? It's a hard task to parents. It's a hard task to minister to kids. But we are called to minister to one another, and that includes children. We need to look at ministering differently than this upside-down world, which will require us to understand, I would say, three things. One, I'm a little clicker here. There you go. First one, a greater motivation for this life. Two, a greater purpose for this life. And then three, a greater ministry than this life. God is calling us as a church family to something more. And we need to look into his word to learn how we can minister to children in this world that we live in today. So point number one, a greater motivation for this life. God is offering us something greater than what the world is offering. He is showing us something better. But what if this life was it? If that was a person's mindset, there's nothing beyond this life. Once you die, you're gone. Well, that shapes the way you parent, doesn't it? It shapes the way you look at how you're going to live your life. The idea of eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you could be gone. Motivated to maximize pleasure and personal happiness becomes the mindset. What makes me feel good, that's what I'm going to do. If I don't like it, I'm not going to do it, because this life is short. This is all I have. I'm going to make the best of what I have. For parents, maybe it's pushing success and happy lives, however you define happiness. In some regions of the world, having a good life is actually more of like looking at shame or honor. I want my kids to grow up to honor the family and not bring a shame. Here in America, maybe it's more of a, I want my kids to be happy, to be self-sufficient, to have a job and a life outside of my house. That's right. Those are okay things, but obviously God's calling us to more than that. So how do we interact with that? The drawback and the problem is obviously when we're focusing on ourselves and the worldly pleasures, the things of this world, they will never fill the void that's within. They will not fill the void for you, 
or your children. You end up feeling empty and unfulfilled because there's a void there where we try to fill it with pleasure. You ask people who have lots of money, their response isn't, oh, I'm good now. No. If they're pursuing pleasure of finance, money, power, the desire is, I want more. I'm never satisfied. The world will not bring satisfaction because it's a void there that cannot be filled by the world. What if we have the mindset that there is eternal life? Life with God in a place called heaven. What if your mindset is there's that place? There's life after this life, but I have to work for it. I have to earn it. Well, that's called self-righteousness, isn't it? Striving and hoping to achieve the acceptance of a perfect and holy God. God is amazing, flawless. He's up here. And we live our lives then striving to get his acceptance, to receive his love, to hopefully get in if I'm just good enough. We're motivated to achieve, but what's the result? It's filled with anxiety and doubt. Did I do enough? And those who know God's word, we know Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and have what? Fall short of the glory of God. We are unworthy of God. We will fall short. One sin is too many. And God says you will fall short of that. So we cannot just assume that we can strive for it. That's not a motivation because you can't achieve it. So what should motivate us to live this life for God? Knowing that if, what if eternal life is a gift. What if eternal life, yes, it exists, and it's a gift God is giving to you. Look back here, if you've been reading with us, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. There's a couple of things we're going to point out. One, the temporariness of this life, but also the amazingness of the eternal life with God. So verse 1 says, the tent that is our earthly home is obviously temporary. Think about a tent. When you pitch a tent, or put up a tent. You put it up. Next day you take it down, you move on. Think about the Israelites in the wilderness. They would pitch their tents. The tabernacle was considered a tent. They would put it up. They would take it down. They'd move to the next location, put it back up, take it down. It was a temporary thing. It was never meant to be the final place where they would worship God. They desired for a permanent home. And we do know, yes, they made it to the promised land, but was that their permanent home? that one day it would be with God the Father in heaven. That is our permanent home, and the permanent place we get to worship God. And so the comparison made here is a tent, which is temporary, to the home that God is offering, which is a house, foundation, firm, permanent. James 4, 14 tells us how temporary this life is. It says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. It's gone. This life is temporary, but the life with God is permanent and eternal. And this should motivate us to focus not on life as being what's most important. This life now is not most important, but the life to come. It's a different mindset than the rest of the world. They spend their entire time focusing on the pleasures of now. But they don't last, and they don't satisfy. The rest of verse 1 it says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our eternal home is built and provided for by God alone. And that should bring us comfort and encouragement 
It's not about striving and trying to do it yourself. God provides the home. God provides the way. That's why Jesus had to come. Out of love for God the Father and love for us, he came to the earth and lived a life we can never live. He chose to live here and die for us, to pay the price for our sins. Verse 21, the very last verse of this chapter sums this up. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see what's happening here? They call it the great exchange. We, as people, have fallen short. We are sinful. We've done wrong. But Jesus came. He took our sin, all the bad we've ever done or will do, on himself when he died on the cross for those who trust in him. And in place of that, he gave us, clothed us, is the idea, with his righteousness. And so the idea of, I don't want to be exposed before God, because one day we will stand before God. I don't want my sin exposed, displayed before God. I want to be clothed with his righteousness. So when I stand before God, he sees his son's righteousness, Jesus. And he says, well done, good and faithful service. You are accepted in because of your faith in my son. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us that this is a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of yourselves or your own doing. It's a gift from God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Remember how we sang about that just a minute ago? We can't brag about it. Thankfully, it's a gift from God. Once again, that should encourage us and bring us hope. The hope in Christ is one that God is giving it to you. That's something you have to earn or deserve. But he does point out, obviously, our desire should be not for this life. I know there's a lot of songs out there. I've heard a lot, of, especially country songs, where they say, I want to go to heaven, but just not yet. Why? We should be longing for heaven. Verse 2 says, for in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Groaning, this longing for, remember like the Israelites in the wilderness, longing for something more than this. We should not be satisfied with the life that we have here on earth. And I'm sure during this time of this pandemic, you're not feeling very satisfied. But I would encourage you, understand this is meant to be temporary. And it should not bring you fulfillment as it would be as if we were with Christ and with God in our permanent home. 2 Corinthians, going back to chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 Paul says this, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our body is dying. He says here, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The spirit is thriving. For in this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are are eternal. Now keep in mind, Paul is not trying to diminish the hardships we face in life. He's not trying to say your suffering is not that big of a deal. Remember all the suffering Paul has already gone through, and after this we'll go through still some more. He's gone through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, even with the Corinthians, constantly telling them, you can trust me. Stop listening to the false teachers. Listen to me. Listen to what I'm trying to tell you. I can imagine the frustration as I feel like you're talking to your children. I know I've said this before. Listen to me. 
Stop listening to your friends who are telling you wrong things. It's a struggle. Paul is struggling, obviously, but he says, you know what, this is a light affliction when you compare it to what? The eternal weight of glory. All the suffering we will go through during this time of our tent, being here temporarily, pales in comparison to the time when we will be with God forever, face to face, in his eternal home. Parenting during this pandemic is hard. I have talked to many parents. I know there are struggles, especially about starting this new school year. What's it going to look like? What am I going to do? I've even heard, I don't want to mess up my kids. I get that. It's hard. But understand, this life is temporary. Schooling is important. But don't make it ultimate. Whether you're serving in ministry, serving at work, wherever you are, be mindful of what is ultimate, what God is calling us to. This life isn't it. We need to be teaching and sharing something more. The world strives to make this life as good as you can make it. God says, it will never satisfy. I am providing you something greater, a greater hope. Verses 6 and 8 from chapter 5 says this, So we are always of good courage, Paul says. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Is that your cry? Wanting to be home with God? We get why we're here. Paul says, I'm here. Another place he says, I'm here for you. For your benefit. But to be at home with God, that would be my desire. Either way, it's the Lord's will. Walking by faith and not by sight. Once again, referencing back to previous things that Paul said, chapter 4, verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. See, this world focuses on things that you see. Wealth, money, fame, popularity. Those things matter to the world. What does God say? Matthew 6. 19 to 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust will destroy, where thieves will break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal, for there where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We should be motivated to pursue a kingdom that will last. That should be our desire. A kingdom beyond our own creation for ourselves. And parents, a kingdom beyond your own creation for even your kids. And a lot of times we try to put up little kingdoms for them. We have dreams for them of what they will be one day. But we need to remember God's view, God's plan is bigger than ours. So our kingdoms need to crumble and we need to focus on his. So the lesson I guess. The hope we have in Christ should motivate us to pursue God's purpose for our lives. The hope we have in Christ that he, out of love for us, came and offers us something greater than this life. A relationship with God the Father and life with him forever to be in his presence for all eternity. So what is the purpose that God has called us to? I would say once again, it's a greater purpose than this life. 
Look back at verse 9. This is the key purpose that we are called to. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. You see that phrase, please him? We're like, wow, that sounds so simple. All I've got to do is please God. That's what God's calling me to do. But what does that look like? It does not mean just doing good things for God. I know sometimes I say, I read my Bible, I read my Bible every day to please God. I pray every night to please God. I go to church every week to please God. That's a checklist. I spend at least an hour a week focused on God. You think that pleases him? Think about your spouse, for those of you who are married. If I told my wife, I give you three hours every week for you. But the rest of that time, I can do what I want. You think that's going to please her? Satisfy her? Bring her joy? No. And that is not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, what pleases God? It's like a sweet aroma. Romans 12 calls it a living sacrifice. Our life should be offered up completely to God, not to earn his favor, but because he is our ultimate pleasure, we should desire to please him and offer our very lives as a living sacrifice. So what does that mean as a parent when I'm parenting my children? My focus is I need to please God. Is my greatest purpose my children's happiness? Is my greatest purpose to make sure my children learn every math fact and complete all the curriculum this year? That's a good thing, by the way. But is that my greatest purpose? Is my greatest purpose to make sure my children graduate college, get married, have 2.5 children? (laughs) Whoever came up with that number? Become well-respected citizens and church members. Is that my greatest purpose? Those are all good things. But is that my greatest purpose? No. My purpose is to please God, to bring him honor and glory with my entire life. We as parents need to live our lives with God's goals and purposes in view, not our own. Our personal kingdoms, like I said, need to crumble. And that means for our kids, we need to see them through God's eyes. We need to look at how are we showing them what it looks like to please God, to live for God. Not just telling them. Our purpose is not to live to make our kids like us, even though it's good, if, it's nice if they do. Our purpose is not to become their best friends. Our purpose is to honor God as we live for him, loving them, caring for them, but being their mom and dad. Our purpose, I would say, is to live for an audience of one. And verse 10 tells us who that is. Look back at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. All the popularity in this life would not change our greatest need, to be accepted by God. For those who do not believe in Jesus, you will stand exposed before God. As Patsy read that little passage there where Paul says, I don't want to be less clothed 
I don't want to stand before God with my sin exposed before him. I want to be more covered up. I want my sin to be covered up, paid for. Which is what Jesus did for those who trust in him. He clothes us with his righteousness. So that when we stand before God, we're not exposed. But we are seen as righteous because he paid for it all. And we are guilt-free. Once again, parents, we need to see our children in view of eternity. Which is different than the world. The world sees them as, let's make sure they're as happy as possible in this life. But our view needs to be, what will it look like for them in eternity? They will stand before God just like you and me. Will they be completely exposed and humiliated or clothed with the righteousness of Christ? You cannot change or force them to accept Jesus, but your purpose is to point them to Christ. Verse 11, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We are called to encourage others through the tr- with the truth about God. But what does this thing mean to persuade? It's not simply just talk. Atkin talked about it a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So the idea of persuading is I'm persuading you with not just my words, but my life. I am showing you what it looks like to trust and believe in Christ. I'm showing you what it looks like to trust and believe in the gospel. So just as that applies to discipleship with anyone, it applies obviously to discipleship with your children. Do they see what it means to trust in Jesus, to be forgiven by Jesus, to be under the grace of God, free of condemnation because it's been paid for by Jesus? It is important for our kids to understand rules. It's important for them to understand Breaking those rules results in punishment. That's why we point out, obviously, the judgment seat of Christ. We will stand before him. But don't stick your kids solely under law, where all they think is, I must achieve to be loved. If I fail to follow the rules, my parents won't love me. They won't care about me. Sure, we would say, we would never say that. But what do they see in the way you respond to them? And that's hard. You cannot, once again, you have to understand that the way we love and accept our children should reflect the way God loves and accepts us. Full of mercy, full of grace. We are so thankful that God's mercies are new every morning. We're so thankful for the grace of God to be poured on us that he does not judge us for what we've done, but looks at us and sees us clothed with God's righteousness. Do you see your kids in the same light, in need of a savior? Do you see that they are still going to mess up and make mistakes? Thanks be to God that he didn't say one time and that's it. I'm not going to remind you again. I say clean up your room. That's not God. He's still very patient with us. He's loving with us. He's still fully accepting of us. He's still guiding us, correcting us. But it's different. We know God will never stop loving us. Our children need to know that too. In church, this is not, like I said, not just for parents. As a church family, do our children see the love of Christ in you? God's grace and God's love flowing from you and the way you interact with others. 
A majority of children who, after they leave high school, stop going to church, stop their walk with the Lord, what's their reason usually? Because they didn't see it in the church family. They heard the gospel, but they said the way people acted was the same as everybody else. There was no difference. If we want to impact these children for the Lord, if we want to make a difference, God's calling us to tell them the truth of God, but also show them the truth of God. So our purpose is to bring glory to God and share his hope with the world, which includes children. And so what's this ministry, the greater ministry than this life? Verse 18 and 19 says this. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ Jesus, or Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. See, the ministry God is calling us to is beyond being good people, raising good people. God calls us the ministry of reconciliation as his ambassadors for Christ to the world. It's a different role. It's a different focus. Looking beyond this life. Verse 20, it said, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are called to more than just raising good kids. We're called to doing more than just changing their outward behavior. We are called to seek to have them being reconciled to their God. See, this life is temporary, and we should be excited that this life is not it. That we are going to be home with the Lord one day forever. But that joy of knowing where we are going to be able to go because of Jesus, that hope that we have because of Jesus, should make us desire to want to share that with others. So they too can be home and have a permanent home with God. Because his offer is open to all. And it's our responsibility to be part of this ministry that he's called us to. See, he's left us here for a purpose. Yes, to bring him honor and glory, but through the ministry also of reconciliation. Going out and helping people to see that they need to be reconciled to God. So parents, it changes kind of our view of how we parent and how we look at our kids. A lot of times, and I'm guilty of this too, we look at our kids as we are their owners. We own them. They are our children. When they do bad things, it makes me look bad. That bothers me. When they do good things, it makes me look good. So I feel proud. But is that the right view of how I look at my kids? Are they mine? No. They are God's, just as I am God's. And God has blessed me with the opportunity of making this my greatest ministry that he's called me to, my family. But my ministry is still to be an ambassador for Christ to them. The decisions they make are their decisions. Whether they choose to trust in Jesus or not. The decisions they make to follow God and whatever path God leads, it should not be my dreams laid on them. It should be following 
God's plan for them. And that's hard, I know. But we have to trust that God is in control, God is guiding, and God is using way more than just me to influence them, to guide them. Church, look back at your life. As a person, as an adult, for those of you who are adults here, look back at your life. Who invested in you? Who discipled you? Was it only your parents? Can you remember Sunday school teachers? Can you remember peers? I know for me, I know my parents taught me about Jesus, but so did my Sunday school teachers growing up. They taught me, they showed me God's love. When I was in school, especially in high school, there was a child, I guess be a teenager, there in class who would read their Bible every day. I was in public school. My thought was we read our Bible at church, at home, but I had never seen that before in school. Seeing that, they weren't trying to be outright about it. They weren't trying to do something crazy. They were just reading God's word. That impacted me. That led me to ask questions. That changed me. Church, we are called to be disciples. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ, going out on his behalf to seek reconciliation, to help them to see that they need to be reconciled to God. That is a privilege we have. And that's not just the job of parents. That's the job of all of us. So parents, you need to be open to that. Allowing others to invest in your children. To share and plant seeds and water those seeds. That is a good thing. Think about what we do here at church. We have a thing called child dedication. I don't know if you've ever seen it. We haven't done it in a little while. But what happens is the family wants to dedicate their child... So they come forward, and it's actually the child is committing to nothing. The child knows nothing, probably, mostly what's happening. But the parent is committing to dedicate this child to the Lord, which means they're dedicating themselves to be ambassadors for Christ in raising this child and sharing God's hope and truth to the child. But our child dedication is also, at least at Grace, is a dedication of the church. It is your commitment to be ambassadors for Christ to the child and agreeing to the family that you're willing to be a part of that. Church, it's important that we see our role. Whether you are a parent or not, whether you work in children's ministry directly or not, we're all responsible for what God has called us to do. We're not all gifted for working with kids, but it doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility. Children, even right now, are watching all the time. What are other people doing? Are they awake? Are they listening? They're watching you in the hallways. They're watching your conversations afterwards. Kids are very observant. Even if it seems like they're staring off into space, they are paying attention. What do they see in you? Do they see people who say they love Jesus, but they don't show it? May we truly be ambassadors for Christ. When people look at us, may they see the love of God and hear the truth of God from us. Last point there. We are called to be ministers of our God's, sorry, we're called to be ministers of God's reconciliation to the world. That is our role. It is good to teach and train our kids. I know there's a lot going on going to this new school year. But don't be afraid. 
This did not take God by surprise. He is still working in you and your family. Church, he is working in our church family. Don't be afraid. Trust him and see where he leads you. I'm pretty sure it's not a direction any of us ever imagined, but it doesn't make it good. We need to learn to trust God and to follow him wherever he leads as far as what he's called us to do doesn't change. This life is temporary. We will be with him forever one day. The hope we have in Christ should motivate us to pursue God's purpose for our lives. Our purpose should bring glory to God and shape and we should be willing to share his hope with the world. And we're called to be ministers of God's reconciliation to the world. That doesn't change. Let us be excited about that and however it looks. And I would encourage you, how can you do that here at Grace? There's many different things. Being involved in families' lives. Pray for them. Call them. Encourage them. Talk to them. Spend time with them. There's opportunities with Sunday school. We're opening up, hopefully here in September, to do more children's ministry things in person. Be a part of that. Be involved with Awana. That's our discipleship ministry. We have a chance to meet with a group of children, either virtually or in person. It's a chance, once again, to invest in their lives, to interact with them, to show them that God is at work in you and can be at work in them as well. Church, we have a great opportunity here at Grace to be a light to this world. If you're here today and you say, I hear about this idea of being reconciled to God, but I don't know what that means. I want to be reconciled to God. I realize this life is temporary. I see that. People are hurt. People are dying all the time. I believe there must be something more. But what? I would encourage you to talk with a pastor. I encourage you to talk with any church member because we are all who are church members, ambassadors for Christ and ready to share. So if you have questions online or in person, talk to us. We would love to share with you how you can be reconciled to God. All right, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you that you are a God who loves us. You're a God who cares for us, has provided for us. God, this world is truly upside down and you are right. And I thank you for sending us into this world to share your truth and your hope. There is no hope apart from you. But God, thanks be to you that this life is temporary. This pain in this life is hard, but it is temporary. One day we will be with you forever for those who trust in your son, Jesus. God, I pray. Thank you that we can stand before you, not exposed, but covered by your son's righteousness. But God, may we be willing to share that hope with others. May we look at being a parent, a mom, a dad, as an opportunity to share your truth, to share your message of reconciliation to our kids. They are not our property, but an opportunity to minister every day. God, help us to have that desire of our hearts. Help us not to put our own little kingdoms in place, but follow and focus on your kingdom. And may we not try to construct kingdoms for our kids as well, but tear those down. Help our kingdoms to crumble and to focus on yours. God, we thank you that we know that you're with us. You're forgiving. Your mercies are new every morning. Your grace is sufficient. May we rest in you. May we rely on you. May your love flow from us to its children in our community and around the world. God, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.